the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope everybody had a great weekend. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report and lots to cover today, lots to cover. We'll get to all of that and a lot more. Hope you had a great weekend. Boy, there's some baseball going on. There is some baseball going on and uh, watching those Atlanta Braves beat up on the Dodgers. It's such close games. It's amazing to watch. So uh, tough losses. We'll see what happens uh, uh, going forward. Okay, a couple of things. First, let me say I have a great friend, Woody Woodrum of San Diego. Woody and his wife, Donna, are great friends. And Woody had a surgery on his knee. He's got some, he was a longtime submarine man and his knees went bad on him. And he's now, um, uh, you know, he's not retired. He's never retired, but he's now in his, I guess, sixties or so, maybe, uh, maybe around there. And he had to get his knees replaced. He got one replaced a few months ago, went great. Second one replaced some complications. He had to spend an extra day or two in the hospital. He's home. We just offer our best to Woody Woodrum. Great guy, great organizer great uh, patriots so uh, get well Woody I uh, hope you're doing better and better we're praying for you so that's I want to cover that all right um, here's something I want to mention here's what you need to know today we are watching and sorry about my voice by the way I've got a little bit of a I don't know, I think it's allergies the weather is changing uh, and I think my allergies are kicking in so uh, but um, more and more there is a uh, funny thing that happens. It happens regularly now. And that is when something bad happens in the world, you have a, um, the coverage of it will be skewed uh, as to who the perpetrator is. If the perpetrator of, let's say a crime or a murder or something is of a certain type. Now, what do I mean? Well, in England last week, horrendous tragedy, horrendous where a member of parliament uh, was killed and stabbed, I think it was stabbed to death. Actually, I'm happy I don't know the details, but it's a terrible tragedy. And I'm happy that I don't know the name of the murderer. I think it's a terrible thing to have these uh, killings. And I prefer that we not spend our time necessarily making people uh, feel like they know who did these things. So, um, but the murder that happened, it turns out that the killer was a Muslim an Islamic uh, uh, convert. And that is left out of the stories. You have to sort of dig through the stories and you have to kind of track it down to find that out. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because there's also at the same time, there is a statistic out that the uh, people who live in in great, I guess the UK, United Kingdom, uh, have, uh, let's say, uh, this is, let me get the phrasing right. People who are born in the United Kingdom now uh, people who were born in the United Kingdom, currently the, the statistics are that they are not replacing themselves in terms of uh, birth rate. But the birth rate of uh, immigrants to the UK is, is higher, is increasing. So you say, well, that's not terrible, is it? I mean, what's the, you know, what's the deal? I mean, if, that, if the people in, the, in a place aren't going to uh, have a replacement and their birth rate's going down, well, you've got to have some people welcome. And there's a theory to that. The question is, who's coming into your country? Who's coming into your country and are they assimilating? 
And I'll never forget, it was years ago now, three or four or five years, the beheading of, an, of a, a British uh, military man uh, in a section of town in London that was dominated by uh, Muslims. It was murder. Now, I, I, I'm not spending my time here uh, uh, getting into a debate on Islam, except to say it seems pretty clear that aspects of Islam are not compatible with aspects of life in the UK. I thought that may be controversial for some, but I think that's true. And what's happened in, the, in, in Europe, especially, is an influx of immigrants with little control over whether they will assimilate, meaning they'll become a part of the community they're in. And this is becoming a growing problem all over Europe, a significant problem. You're transforming. In fact, I have a friend of mine. He's an Italian national. He lives in the States. But he says, look, Europe is over. He said it's it's becoming, you know, Islamified. He said, could, could there be something else? Maybe. He said, maybe there could be a renewal or something. But he said, right now, it's just becoming an Islamic uh, Europe over time. It's not happening today. But that's happening. And, and the transformation and the question, in, you know, the, 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 the British have said this is a terrorist attack. Their member of parliament killed. And you'll see coverage. I just looked at Politico of, oh, should members of parliament have meetings in, in their towns because of danger? No mention of the Islamic uh, attack, the Islamic nature of the attack. No mention of that. It's just suddenly safety. Is it safety? It's, uh, it, it's you know, what, what, what should we worry about? Everybody? It's not everybody. But here's where I want to. Where's what you need to know? The number one issue in this country right now, number one, I think I put it ahead of the economy. I put, even put it ahead of the health freedom incursions, uh, the intrusions, is this immigration question. If you go and read, and I encourage you to do it, if you go and read, I'm looking on my bookshelf to see if I can find it, lay my hands on it right away. If you read Todd Benzman's book, it's not just about the immigration problem. It's about the threat of terrorism because of the immigration problem. In other words, if you don't control your borders, you are guaranteeing not just an immigration problem, you're guaranteeing a terrorism problem. And so it's not just the refugees that came from Afghanistan that weren't vetted, that got on the planes. It's not just the fact that there were all these examples that Todd Benzman said of people coming through the border with a watch list uh, on the on the terrorist watch list. Those are all important details. But the, the, the real overarching question is what happens when you have a border that no one is controlling coming in access when and, and the people are flowing into the country inevitably. Inevitably, people are coming into this country then who are not assimilating. And what you need to know is the failure to assimilate is not just by choice. Sometimes it's by not. Sometimes it's by choice. In other words, sometimes it's people that say I'm coming there to be a uh, against America. But sometimes it's just coming to America. And if we had a vibrant America with institutions that worked, public education, our churches that educated people about America. We would, we would, we would, new, newcomers to America, we would have a higher chance, a better chance, and a higher rate of assimilating people, there it is, into our country. America's Covert Border War by Todd Benzman. It's on the top of my shelf right now. It's on, on, on the top of a book on, uh, on, the, on Hungary and the politics of Hungary because they're facing this same fight. So is Poland. So are other places. But the, the, the issue, what you need to know is immigration is not 
just a crime problem. There is a crime problem. Drugs, sex trafficking, horrendous stuff, all kinds of other issues. But it is truly a national security issue precisely because, I guess, I I don't know if I mean this, but I could say it like this. If you wanted to in 1950 and you let people through the border, they had a really good chance in the next 10 or 15 years of being assimilated. Some didn't. Some came in and stayed anti-American or or became anti-American or became communist or they were communist agents maybe. But today, you come into America and the institutions, public education, the media, big tech, the, the, uh, the, the uh, churches are all actually actively not assimilating Americans because they want to say they don't like America. They want to say they don't like America's founding. They want to say that. And even, even the institutions like our, our justice system appear, again, I often say still better than the rest of the world, but they appear rigged and broken. And fixed, rigged, I guess is the same word, in favor of the wealthy and the powerful and the and the politically correct, the politically connected. The politically correct and the politically connected now overlap completely. It's 100%. In order to be politically connected, you have to be politically correct. Be politically incorrect and see if you can stay politically connected. It's not possible. So what you need to know right now is the immigration question, refugees from Afghanistan and other parts of the world, Haiti, they're sending a bunch. And then especially the unchecked, uncontrolled surge through our borders. This is a problem. It's not just the Somalis in Minnesota where there's real questions of how they're assimilating and violence and all. It's all across the country. It's in every neighborhood, every town, every country, excuse me, every county, every state. It's an issue that we have to face. And the more people uh, are, 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 are distracted by the next crisis, on to the next thing, the worse it is for us. That's where we are. That's the reality. Again, the book is Todd Benzman's book, America's Covert War. America's covert war. Check it out. All right. We got to take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for our daily email and a lot more. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our next guest has uh, been on a couple times now with us is the best-selling author, Martin Dugard. His newest book is called Taking Paris, The Epic Battle for the City of Lights. And uh, last time we were talking to you, Martin, I think you were on your way finally to get over to Paris and to France after you'd done a lot of research uh, on the Internet and all. And so, first of all, how was that trip? And when you see Paris now, you know, in the last month or whatever, and you've done so much study of Paris, what it was like. Do you sit there and you kind of recognize that, or is it almost like a whole new city? It's a whole new city. It's, and, you know, especially because when you know the events that have unfolded in a particular place, like in front of the Ritz Hotel or on the Place de la Concorde right. or the Arc de Triomphe, um, it yeah. kind of gives you chills. You know, like when, when you know, I was walking up uh, the Champs-Élysées, and I, I can imagine the German, the Nazi army marching in in June 1940, you know, in a column of right. three abreast. Um, and then again, you know, August 29, 1944, the American army marching 24 abreast down the same same place that I was, you know, walking casually. It was very cool. Mm-hmm. 
It is, uh, but I guess, uh, but it's also a modern city now, right? So, I mean, as as fast as it as fast as it can change, you kind of, I mean, some things are gone, right? I mean, it, I guess I, what I'm saying is, uh, it it would be um, you would know that, but nobody else would. They'd be walking past, and I don't nobody else would, but a lot of other people would be walking past with no um, with no real reason to know what happened here. You know, it's, it's interesting because one of the reasons that the, the French surrendered the city to the Nazis was they didn't want their city destroyed. They, they thought the city was timeless. And they thought that um, that it should mm. remain timeless. So, if you walk through the city, I'm walking the same footsteps of not just you know the, you know German soldiers and American soldiers, but in the you know Napoleon and all these people because so much about the city, while it's been you know different cars, you know faster vehicles. Right. So much of the city is, is has not changed at all. I mean, it's you know mm. you walk in the footsteps of Hemingway as you as you walk into the Ritz. I mean, it's it's very right. very cool to to know that that you're in a place that has such history behind it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. I mean, I, I've been to Paris, although I was uh, just a few days, but I lived in uh, Italy in Rome, and that was the experience there. You'd be in Rome, and there'd be a fountain with water coming out of the fountain for you to get water, get a drink of that was five hundred years old. And you, they say, "Oh my, five hundred years old!" Like it's uh, things have not been okay. Uh, again, we're talking to Martin Dugard. His book is "Taking Paris: uh, The Epic Battle for the City of Lights." Here's one story I don't, I can't imagine Americans knew detail. And that is that Patton, at the end of the, towards the end of the book, you wrote, long after historians stopped writing about his march to the Rhine, General George S. Patton will be immortalized for taking Paris. But the fascinating thing here is that he was, he was approached to try to change Eisenhower's mind. They were not going to take Paris. They had to beat the Germans. They had to beat the Nazis. They were planning to keep going across the, the uh, France. Uh, uh, yeah, France. And uh, Patton actually declined. He said, I'm not going to help. We got to go take that. We don't have enough gasoline. We don't have enough energy. We're not going to do it. And he changed his mind. Now, I, I never heard that. First of all, tell us exactly that story, and then I have a follow-up. No, it's very true. Um, you know, George S. Patton, you know, he assumed command of the Third Army in August 1944, and he was galloping across France. I mean, he was pushing the German army back to the German border, and he was on the move. Um, when uh, when a member of the French Resistance found him, you know, came to his camp, and walked through the German lines, he came specifically to Patton to, to plead for Patton to enter the city. And there was mm-hmm. no reason to do it. You know, when you enter a city like that, you are... Uh, morally obligated to feed them, to give them heating oil and cooking oil. Uh, and those are things that Patton oh. would keep his army moving. And so, huh. you know, while Patton did the right thing by convincing Eisenhower to pivot a little bit, enter the city, flush the Germans out, it cost Patton. By the end of August 1944, I mean, literally a week later, he was stuck near the German border and, and stopped because he was out of gas. You know, all that gas was going to the citizens of Paris. And there was nothing, um, there was no one Patton could blame but himself. But at the same time, you know, he did what he had to do, and it just, but it did extend the war by, I think, two or three months. You know, uh, but but even even more telling. Do, you, do how did you know that? How did you find that detail that Patton actually met with the resistance fighter and said, "Sorry, can't do it." Walked out and then went back. I mean, who had that in their in their uh, history? Was that in the was that in the? It wouldn't have been the resistance. Uh, probably was it in uh, maybe Bradley was the general that Patton and and the resistance guy had to go to next to try to go up the line. But where'd you find that? I'd never heard that before. It just you dig and you dig. There was there have been several books that were written about um, the liberation of Paris that were written 
in the 1950s and 1960s, well, a lot of the participants were still alive. So there's a very good oral history of what happened there. And what I love about that story is it's not part of the, of the patent legacy, you know. Although yeah. Yeah. We think of Bast- we think of Bastone. We we think of you know him slapping a soldier, but we don't know about that moment. And you know, a nice touch of that moment was after he listens to this resistant talk about the need to go into Paris. You know, Patton says no. He changes his mind, goes back to his tent to go back to sleep. Then changes his mind again. Remember, this is a guy who spoke French and had lived in France um, for several years. He gets a bottle of champagne and some glasses, walks back into the tent with the resistant sits down, opens the bottle of champagne, and toasts to the liberation of Paris. Yeah, I, that 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 gives me goosebumps to hear you tell the story. I mean, because I don't think anybody knows that, and it, it's all it's as you say, it's one of the great great things about it is it goes against type. I mean, Patton wasn't supposed to be the guy that <laughs> had any indecision or changed his mind, and dramatically, of course, I'm sure he did. He was human. It's a it's a great detail. Uh, speaking of that, Martin, how's the book been received? I mean, you've done a lot of best selling books. I bet you some of them you finish writing when you say that was a pretty good one, and it goes to the moon. Another one you write and it goes, and you say, well, that people didn't get it. How's the reception of this one going? No, you know, sales are very, very strong. We we're just off the New York Times list uh, the last two or three weeks. Um, people people get it. You know, we last time we spoke, I kind of talked about what I tried to do with this book was to write a very fast moving thriller like yeah. history of, of of Paris. And you know, judging on the reviews I've seen so far, people get it. You know, every now and then people say that they want longer, more boring chapters, and I say forget it. You know, <laughs> People, people are enjoying the fact that it's a page turner and they're learning a lot about history at the same time. I was just listening. My sons are reading uh, Killer Angels in school, and I just was listening to it as an auto, as a book on tape. I was driving them somewhere, and I, I have it anyway, and I was listening. And it's Jeff Shara talking about his father yeah. and how his father wrote the when, – when he wrote that book, I guess it was the 70s. Yeah, it must have been like 70 – he was writing it from early 70s until maybe 74, 75, uh, and published in 75 initially with no no success. But he, he Jeff Shara described that his father um, – and he resisted even till his death about 15, 12 or 14 years later all the calls to change the style it was really he did it as historical fiction he said that you know he got into everybody's brain but it was it transformed it right i mean there's now there's like a whole genre of that kind of writing is that what you've experienced with this with you and o'reilly now that you've written like this it's it's become its own because i think it's is it chris wallace or Kilmead or somebody is doing like a 3 days at they're doing the similar kind of style maybe small pieces but not the writing um is like you said the chapters are so short is it has it caught on <laughs> yeah i think it has caught on I, some one reviewer recently i think just last week um called out chris wallace and said that you know he was deliberately copying the the killing series style and uh i'm flattered mm-hmm. you know I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm the guy who came up with, with that with that style i sold it to bill and we've done these books together and I think I think we're seeing a changing of the guard with history, because you know people have a shorter attention span, but people also really uh, don't have that much time in the day anymore to to devote to things like simple pleasures like reading, because there, there's so many uh, right. you know entertainment choices. So you know a book like this, you, you know people people love to feel like they're learning something, and and people also right. love the the positive feeling of finishing a chapter. So when you combine short, fast chapters with a lot of detail, a lot of nuance, and a big cinematic scope to it, it's only a matter of time before it catches on. I mean, I think we're going to get to the point where you're going to have your, your traditional academic historian 
where you have, you know, it's dull and boring and slow, but it's just chock full of minutia. Right. Or you can, and I think then you're, I think you're going to have books like Taking Paris and the Killing series, in that people are going to read it and they're they're going to just keep turning the pages and they're going to learn about history. Um, and it, a subject that used to be boring to them is all of a sudden going to be fascinating and riveting the way that it should be. Right. Uh, Martin Dugard, again, the book is uh, uh, Taking Paris, the Epic Battle for the City of Lights. I should say it's uh, the, uh, it's a Penguin Random House uh, imprint. It's called Caliber. Uh, you can get anywhere you get books. Uh, one last uh, question. When you go to Paris now, after you write a book like this, do you... I mean, you didn't get to do research in Paris where you would have been sitting and talking to people, but do, do, do you, I mean, do they notice? Do the Parisians realize it? Is it too early on this book? It would maybe next time you'd go? I mean, but do you, how's the reception by the French? You know, I was, I was walking down the Tuileries, which is just across the street from the Louvre, and there was a English language bookstore, and I went in, and I was just looking for something to read on the plane home. Um, and right in front of me were copies of this book. <laughs> so to see, taking hmm. Paris for sale in Paris was super cool. It was just one of those moments. I actually took a picture. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't. I good. I, I was going to, I was going to, I was going really to say, if you didn't take a picture, I was going to probably give you a little grief because that's the one you got to take a picture. I don't care. I don't care how many books you've sold, Martin. You got to take a picture of that one. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, listen, and uh, keep on trucking. I know we talked about some other books coming. So good luck with this book. Keep continuing to sell and the, and the, all of it. It's great stuff. We appreciate your time. Yeah, it's always, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. You're welcome. Martin Dugard, everybody. The book, again, is Taking Paris, the Epic Battle for the City Lights. It's really good. He described it. It's a good book, the great topic, but also how it's written. It's easy to read and kind of uh, bumps along and, and, and keeps me engaged, which is uh, part of the thing. So thanks very much. And we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I described to you, I was out in Anaheim, I don't know how many months ago now, I can never, July maybe, it was July, and I went to uh, this great conference, uh, and it was, it blew me away. I mean, there were, there were, I don't know, 5,000 people total, but it was, uh, Clay Clark had organized these, uh, these, these events, uh, and at the time it was, re- I think it was Reawaken America then, but it was even before they started rolling everybody up with mandates and all these vaccine things and it was extraordinary energy and i'm really pleased that clay clark can join us on the uh, on the show right now he's got a couple more dates coming up one i believe is in i know the one i was looking at january uh in phoenix arizona but also uh in uh, dallas texas in december so welcome clay how are you Brother, I'm honored to be here with your listeners. I have uh, eight urgent updates that i think are going to be of value for your listeners today and i hope we can sneak Great. them all in yeah, let's do it. But first, let me ask you, Clay, you're a businessman. You've been a, a communicator. You've done all kinds of things. How'd you get in this space? Because I've seen you. You're, you, I mean, you're like an evangelist now on this. How'd you get in this space? Um, God. Um, uh, <laughs> I specifically, um, I was uh, being a uh, weak Christian man who went to work, mm-hmm. who went to church, who went home, who was coasting off of our freedoms. Uh, in America, you know, I, I grew up very mm-hmm. poor, but in America, if you are just a diligent, hardworking person, you can achieve massive success in a capitalistic country where you have God-given rights. Bottom line, it's very easy to go from poor to not poor. And I went from poor to not poor, and people said, woo 
You're the entrepreneur of the year. Woohoo! You got to interview me on your show. Wolfgang Puck, John Maxwell, Damon John, they're all said, I want to be on your show. People are cheering. I'm selling thousands of books, hundreds of thousands of units of items and swag, and people are cheering and top of iTunes six times, and I'm in my hot tub, and I'm watching the world fall <laughs> apart all around us. But, but it started in Wuhan. And so my wife said to me the most crazy thing ever. She said to me, honey, we're, we're driving in the car. She said, what do you think you should tell your clients to do as it relates to, you know, the, the whole COVID shutdowns, you know, and I, I said, right, uh, what? Right. And she said, well, it's in Wuhan. Yeah. It's coming. And I heard they're talking about the World Health Organization is saying it should happen here. I'm going, okay, I'll do a deep dive. So I did a little t- time out. I, I'm a married man with five kids. So I asked my wife, I said, hey, can I do a deep dive? She said, absolutely. I go down to my man cave and I discovered that the following three things are true. One, the models that said that 2.2 million Americans would die from COVID-19, those models were nefariously false and intentionally funded by Bill Gates. Two, the PCR tests are falsely calibrated to inflate the number of positive COVID-19 cases. In fact, the, the inventor of the PCR test, Dr. Kerry Mullis, came out and said, you should never use my PCR test to test for a pandemic. Three, is COVID-19 is 100% treatable using budesonide, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine you say how did you know hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment for COVID-19 before president trump knew that's a great question because we're talking about 2019 2020 it's on the national institutes of health website they said that hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment for COVID-19 on the nih website how is that possible well the cdc they actually patented the coronavirus transmissible to humans in 2003 yes ladies and gentlemen the cdc actually patented the coronavirus transmissible to humans in 2003, which implies that either either A, patented nature, which is illegal, or they patented a synthetic man-made gain-of-function virus. And a bonus <laughs> fry for you is that the Rockefeller plan was written in 2010, and this is where I had to really repent. I've had the Rockefeller plan in my hand since 2010, which calls for the release of a synthetic man-made virus, quarantines, curfews, lockdowns, and forced vaccinations that will change your RNA forever. And so that being said, I have five kids. I looked around. I thought, uh, God, I looked up. I, I literally said I was listening to Colton Dixon's song called Autopsy. And I said, God, uh, the, the song Autopsy is about how uh, God wants to break you down and make you commit right. your everything right. for him. Not just to be a fake Christian, but to be all in or all out. That's what that song means to me. And I said, God, you know, what can I do to save this nation? How, how, how can I do it? And I felt like God was saying to me, not, not out loud, I wish he did, but I felt like it was like you need to use all your time, talents, and treasure to save this nation. All of it. All of it. Not part of it. All of it. All of your time. And so I came upstairs, tears in my eyes. I told my wife, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to be a part of saving this nation. Several months later, Kim Clement prophecies started being sent to me from all over the nation. There's a Kim Clement prophecy that mentions my name, and I never met Kim Clement, the great prophet. And in 2013, he was talking about a man by the name of Mr. Clark, who's supposed to help reawaken America, and how Trump would become a trumpet and ultimately become the president. In 2013, he's saying these things. Wow. And so uh, I couldn't sleep. I had insomnia every day. I couldn't sleep. I would go to bed. at. I wake up every day at 3 a.m. Normally, I fall asleep at 9 p.m. I couldn't sleep. I had cognitive dissonance where I felt my actions didn't reflect my values. And my wife said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I feel like God wants us to do a reopen America tour with General Flynn. And my wife of Mm -hmm. almost 20 years now, she said, well, why don't you call him? And I'm like, ah, if I call him, he'll say yes. What if he says yes, then I have to do it. So I called him. (laughs) Right. Because General Flynn is is my general. Jesus Jesus is my king. Trump is the president. So I called. My my, my boss, by the way, my wife, she says, call him. And I said, hey, General Flynn. 
I feel like God wants us to team up to do a Reopen America tour where we, where, where, where we kill the spirit of fear. We let people know that the models that said that 2.2 million people would die are false. The PCR tests are false. The treatments are real. We've got to expose election fraud, medical fraud, and the Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. And he goes, I know, Clay, but it has to happen through the church. And I, and I remember just sitting there going, you know. And he goes, yes, we got to go. Let's go. <laughs> so we announced tickets were on sale at timetofreeamerica.com. Uh, timetofreeamerica.com, where millions of people go every week anyway to learn the truth about COVID-19, the Great Reset, et cetera. 50,000 people almost requested tickets. And uh, my building only accommodates 500 people. And so I was without a wow. place to have it. And through a lot of great connections through my friend uh, Aaron Antis and one of our clients, uh, Rama Bible College, Rama Bible College agreed to uh, uh, host the event there, and we were packed. I mean, every inch of that facility, Rama Bible College, was filled. 7.1 million people streamed the event online, and I think a lot wow. of people discovered very quickly that our, at our events, we let you name your price. Now, if you're out there, if you're a big Oakland Raider fan, you're a big uh, Charger yeah. fan, you're a big uh, you know, Angels fan. Imagine showing up at Anaheim Stadium or showing up at the stadium to buy a ticket to go see the Angels or the Padres or something, and they say, uh, yeah, the ticket's uh, $200 to sit on, on right next to first base. And you go, yeah, but I kind of going through a tough time, so I would like to pay $7. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing at these events. So, I mean, we're having Jim Caviezel, Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, Sean Foyt, uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, I mean, some of the world's biggest names, General Flynn, Mike Lindell, they're all up on stage, and every one of them is not doing this for some massive wage. They're doing this because they literally want to save the nation. And so if you go to timetofreeamerica.com, we just sold out San Antonio, which is our uh, sixth event. Dallas, Texas in December, we're just under 200 tickets left if you go to timetofreeamerica.com for Dallas. And then we had the largest church in Arizona open their doors and say, hey, you guys can host the Reawaken America Tour at the Dream City Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And the energy behind this is next level. And I can tell you I am the least talented and least motivated person on the stage. Every single time I get up there, and I am absolutely in awe that our Lord and Father Jesus Christ is using me to be a small part of this big message because people are waking up. I've seen it. It's not true. What you said is not true about you being the, the, the least talented. But but wait, uh, we only got a limited time. So give me some of these updates you had. I, I don't know if you yeah. weaved any of them in, but I, I, I what, tell me what tell me what's breaking right now, please. Yeah. Update number two for your listeners out there. If you go to timetofreeamerica.com, you can join the airline injunction against the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. One of the most intense attorneys in Oklahoma, Doug Mahaffey, he reached out and said, I want to represent these airline employees. And so if you go to timetofreeamerica.com, you can join the airline injunction against the, the, the vaccine mandates. And you say, well, why is that important? It's important because Doug Mahaffey will take this into the 10th Circuit Court in Oklahoma. And the 10th Circuit mm-hmm. Court is actually aware of the U.S. Constitution. And they always rule on behalf of the Constitution. So that will set a precedent. That's a big win for America. Update number three, and I know you got to let me go here. Update number three, if yeah. you're looking for a COVID-19 vaccine religious exemption, which, by the way, most mid-level employers are taking. Companies with 100 employees yeah. or less are almost all saying, yep, we'll take it. So go to newlifeharvestchurch.org, newlifeharvestchurch.org. Pastor Leon Benjamin will be happy to sign those, or Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer at J-A-C-K-S-O-N-L-A-H-M-E-Y-E-R.com. That's jacksonlawmeyer.com. That's jacksonlawmeyer.com and newlifeharvestchurch.org. Org. And the final update I have, and I'll let you hang up on me, is uh, the, the doctors yeah. that are friends of mine through this tour, Dr. Uh, Vladimir Zelenko, 
He's now treated 7,000 COVID patients, including President Trump, with only three deaths. Dr. Sherwood has treated 9,000 COVID-19 patients with zero deaths. Dr. Jim Meehan has treated 3,200 patients with zero deaths. And all of these doctors are listed at timetofreeamerica.com. And some of the doctors you're going to see on stage, just five of the doctors we were talking, they've now treated 30,000 COVID patients between the five of them with just three deaths. And so if you want to find doctors that will treat you with 100% effective treatments and therapies for COVID-19, go to timetofreeamerica.com. And if you want to die from COVID-19, take the CDC recommended protocol at the hospital. It's called remdesivir and mitazolam. And remdesivir is a drug patented by George Soros in China, and it's being recommended at every single hospital out there right now. Do not take remdesivir and mitazolam. All right. Hey, Clay, I got a, I got a couple more minutes. Hold on. So don't let me lose you. Um, we're talking with Clay Clark, by the way. We're And in particular, I want to make sure our listeners in California and uh, that can go to Arizona. That one is January 2022. Again, we'll get it all up on social media. Uh, Clay, where does this end? I'm not I'm only half kidding. But again, I, I know you can't predict it, but you can feel the energy. And is the energy is it is this political? Is this uh, cultural? Is it I, I know you feel it's faith, but where's this going? Well, um, I was just—I literally was just talking to Aaron Antis, who runs Oklahoma's largest home building company, about this very subject. But if you read Proverbs one seven, it says, "For the fear of the yeah. Lord is the beginning of all wisdom." Right? It says, "For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom." So what happens is, the yeah. people that if they don't fear the Lord, it's very hard for them to make good decisions because the love of money is very enticing for people that don't view eternity as something to think about. So in order to save this nation. We have to actually save this nation, save every individual in this nation. So my goal is to, to save this nation is to lead every single American in salvation. And so far, we've had 2,000 people in person, which, by the way, is not 330 million people, who've committed their life to Christ. We've had 1,500 baptisms, so now we're up to 3,500. But I am talking to people every single day who say, Clay, I watched the Reawaken America tour from my house in Ireland, and my wife and kids and I, we recommitted our life to Christ. And I'm going, really? And we're having people in Spain, in Canada, all, all every state in the union, people in Hawaii are cheering for this. And so I just encourage everybody, we want to get right with God. Because I do believe in eternity, I do believe in salvation, and I want to expose the truth about election fraud, medical fraud, but also there's this terrible thing called religious fraud, which I think is the most nefarious kind of fraud there is out there. If you follow the money right now, you're going to see that Rick Warren, what? Uh-oh, I know I just stepped on someone's toes. Wow. Rick Warren yeah. now is on video endorsing Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. T.D. Jakes is on video endorsing the RNA-modifying graphene oxide nanotechnology fetal tissue cell line-derived COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, we got Rick Warren and T.D. Jakes. You got Andy Stanley acting as though it's manly to keep your church shut. You've got Craig Rochelle of Life Church refusing to chime in on anything that's relevant. I mean, you've got pastors who are in support of the Black Lives Matter organization, which is literally it was founded by a lesbian Marxist by the name of Patrice Cullors, and she's founded by a, race, a racist white Nazi by the name of George Soros. And so I'm just telling you, we've got religious fraud, medical fraud, and election fraud. America needs a lot of help, and uh, good news is our God is uh, all-powerful. Well, and uh, the, and the and the other good news is uh, guys like you have been called forth to stand up. So uh, I, I, again, it's uh, ta- uh, time to freeamerica dot com. Time to freeamerica dot com. Clay, thanks for taking the time. I very much appreciate it. We'll have you back on again, and we will make sure to get the word out on these uh, upcoming events too. 
Time to freeamerica.com, time to freeamerica.com, and time to freeamerica.com. Boom. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks. Clay Clark, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll uh, put it all up on social media. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A record-breaking 10.1 million unfilled jobs were reported as though this was a positive measure of economic growth. Supposedly, ordinary Americans are doing so well that employers cannot even fill basic jobs. But many of these unfilled jobs are due to the growing employer mandates for the COVID vaccine. Anthony Fauci routinely praises the unaccountable FDA and said he hopes more employers will impose vaccine mandates. Fauci said, for those who do not want to get vaccinated, I believe mandates at the local level need to be done. This unelected bureaucrat seeks more vaccine mandates against employees, while the Biden administration has decided it will require the vaccine for all military personnel. More than 90 million Americans have declined the COVID vaccine. Cash offers, lottery prizes, and even threats of being fired have not moved this large sector of our country to comply with Fauci's pipe dream of a fully vaccinated America. Many of the employer mandates, such as that by Microsoft, seem senseless. Microsoft produces software with little face-to-face interaction by its workers with the public or even with each other, yet requires COVID vaccination to the glee of its founder, longtime vaccine promoter Bill Gates. The early recipients of the COVID vaccine are already being told that it's wearing off and they may need to receive another vaccine soon. Many of them had an unexpected adverse reaction the first time and polling shows that more workers would quit their job over a vaccination requirement than a pay cut. If you want to get the COVID vaccine, you don't have to get my permission. I haven't broken ties with any friends or family members over their decision to get or not get the vaccine. However, I cannot tolerate the audacity of employers who think it's their right to force employees to introduce an unwanted vaccine into their body. Who wants to be the one to tell a pregnant woman that she must either do something she thinks will endanger her child or else leave her job? Dr. Fauci has no right to tell a pregnant woman what to do with her body or anyone else for that matter. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Boy, those are some great guests today. Different styles. Different styles. Martin Dugard, the uh, author and uh, kind of uh, quiet fella. And then Clay Clark going crazy and wild in the right direction, man. I, I have been to one of those events. It is um, spectacular to see the energy. And as we talked about, where does it end up, right? How do we steer this uh, movement into the right places and not get distracted by the wrong things? That's the challenge. So uh, good stuff. All right. Hey, I want a preview for you later on this week. I am going to spend some time of my time. I'm going to get ready for this in a big way. I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to do some researching. I'm going to do some asking about, asking around. 
And the reason why is because uh, on the 23rd of October, it will be 30 years since Clarence Thomas was confirmed and went on the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, that in history, 30 years, it's not the longest amount of time yet. He could be, though, because he's only in his early 70s. And he, he was on the he was put on the court, I think he was 42. So he's probably 70, I think 72. Could be his birthday might be in and around now. I don't know what it is. But we'll find all that out in time. But history will mark his appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court as one of the more extraordinary, outside of the ordinary, extraordinary and important, important in terms of the in terms of the nation and the law and how uh, everything works in this great republic. So we're going to celebrate that. It's, it's coming up on Saturday, October 23rd, 30th anniversary of Clarence Thomas. I'll have some uh, I'll have some surprises for you surprises so we'll celebrate that looking forward to it all right thank you as always to our great uh, producer noah dingley who is very very shaken by the dodgers performance we'll see how it goes the rest of the the series and also joanna for booking our guests we'll be back tomorrow it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.